open with us this morning as we sing, Nothing But the Blood. Wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of I see nothing but the blood of Jesus for my cleansing this my plea nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other fount I know nothing but the blood sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus, God of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus, oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Upon the death of renowned composer and editor William Bradbury, Biglow and Maine, successors to Mr. Bradbury in the publishing business, selected our friend Dr. Lowry for editor of their Sunday school book, Bright Jewels. At first, he was reluctant to help, fearing the obligation would get in the way of his pastoral work, but eventually he accepted the position. When he saw the obligations of musical editorship were laid upon him, he began the study of music in earnest. 
and he sought the best musical textbooks and works on the highest forms of musical compositions. Throughout the country, it was well known that he possessed one of the finest musical libraries. It abounded in works on the philosophy and science of musical sounds. He had a huge music collection which he studied and learned from with some works in his possession that were over 150 years old. What a lesson. Take your ministry seriously, no matter what it is. Even if you think it won't be successful, do it with all your heart. It's the end of the matter that counts. And despite his initial reluctance, Dr. Lowry served as music editor and composer with all his heart. He would end up as editor, composer, and contributor to 19 published songbooks. Inspired by the notion of the end of the matter is what counts, he wrote this timeless hymn, which was included in the tenth of his songbooks. Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. Let's sing it together this morning. He arose. Jesus, my Lord, up 
in Brooklyn on a hot July day in 1864, Dr. Lowry wrote his greatest hymn, Shall We Gather at the River. A very severe epidemic was raging in Brooklyn at the time and hundreds were passing over the river of death. And Dr. Lowry was thinking of the sad scenes all around him when the question arose in his mind, shall we meet again? We're, we're parting at the river of death. Shall we meet at the river of life? With his heart full of these thoughts, he seated himself, we're told, at his parlor organ, and both the words and the music of the famous hymn came to him, inspired by God alone. He wrote the hymn and filed it away. A year later, he submitted it to be published, and like most of his hymns, he thought little of it. He was always critical of his work. He described it this way. It's brass band music, it, ha it has a march movement, and for that reason some may like it, though for myself I don't think much of it. Validation would come years later at an International Sunday School Workers' Convention in London. It was a huge event. Thousands were in attendance from Europe, Asia, and America. Dr. Lowry took a seat in the back alone discouraged at the time about the impact of his work and ministry. He said, after there had been a number of addresses delivered in various languages, I was preparing to leave when the chairman of the meeting announced that the author of Shall We Gather at the River was present and I was requested by name to come forward. As he walked to the platform, the applause was deafening. The crowd couldn't be contained. The standing ovation, waving and applauding, lasted for approximately 10 minutes. It was a tribute to the hymn, he said. But I felt when it was over that after all, I had perhaps done some little good in the world. And I felt more than ever content to die when God called. That time would come Dr. Robert Lowry died at his residence in Plainfield, New Jersey, 
on November 25, 1899, leaving behind his wife and three sons. His sermons in gospel song live on all over the world. Till the day we reunite with him in glory, we will sing Robert's hymns. He may never have thought much of them, but history tells a different story. And what a thought shall we gather at the river. Can you imagine? Breaking of bread at 10, family Bible hour at 11.30, rapture at 1, and then let's all reconvene at the river. And I can hardly wait to see the look on his face when we break out singing his hymn, Shall We Gather at the River. I know that's going to happen because I'm planning to start it, and I need you all to join along when I do. One day we will gather with Robert and all the saints throughout history around that river in heaven, and we will break out into song. Yes, we'll gather at the river, the beautiful, the beautiful river. Gather with the saints at the river that flows by the throne of God. What a joyous song. Sing with us as we close. You can't help but sing this with a smile on your face. Join us. Shall we gather at the river Where bright angel feet have drawn With its crystal time forever Flowing by the throne of God The beautiful, the beautiful river Gather with the saints at the river That flows by the throne of God Ere we reach that shining river Lay we every burden down Grace our spirits will deliver And provide a road By the throne of God, at the smiling of the river, mirror of the Savior's face, saints whom death will never sever, lift their songs of saving grace. Are you ready? Yes, we'll gather at the river, the beautiful, the beautiful river. By the throne of God And soon we'll reach the silver river Soon our pilgrimage will cease Soon our happy hearts will quiver With the melody of peace Yes, we'll gather at the river 
I have tears in my eyes. And uh, I will uh, take the option that Randy said. Uh, 10 o'clock, breaking bread. 11.30, preaching. And I hope he comes now. And 1 o'clock, departure. <laughs> Wouldn't that work better? It works for me. I don't know about you, but I think you... We should join each other while we're called to be there. Oh, Randy and the worship team, fantastic. Let's give them a hand again. And uh, we've been doing this every month. And I would like... Randy and the worship team to hear what I want to say. Keep it going. Keep it going. If this is one way to bring tears to my eyes, when you think about these men of God writing these wonderful hymns, we don't need to have a preaching service after that. But I'm scheduled. <laughs> I can't back down now. I'm scheduled. Let's uh, ask the Lord to bless us with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for these hymns. We thank you for the men of God who wrote them so we can praise your name with them. May we ask you now.
to direct our hearts to the word of God. May every word be a blessing to each and every one. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. Amen. I uh, was given a Bible in 1976. Some of you were not born. Enjoy that. And uh, I uh, wrote a notes about a message I preached in 19, I believe, in 1978 when we started gathering together as a little church in this valley. And I opened this Bible about two weeks ago, and I saw on the pages of 1 Samuel chapter 9 my notes. I said, did I write these things? I forgot about them. And the notes about 2 Samuel chapter 9. Would you open with me? 2 Samuel and chapter 9. This uh, story of this young man fascinated me all the time. The thing of it is, I never preached that message again since that time. And the Lord spoke to my heart as I was beseeching him. I said, give me a message for Sunday on I'm preaching. And he gave me this message. Of course, it's changed, but let's read this chapter, chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. It's the story of a young man and King David. Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not yet another one of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Mashir, the son of Emiel, in Lodibar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Mashir, the son of Emiel, from Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself and David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, Here is your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again he prostrated himself and said, Listen to this, What is your servant, that should regard a dead dog like me. Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belong to Saul 
and to all his house I have given him to your master's grandson. And you, and you, and your sons, and your servants, excuse me, shall cultivate the land for him. And you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephubosheth, your master's grandson shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for, and he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. What a story. It has always uh, affected me how it happened and what God allowed King Solomon to do, King uh, David, to do with this young man. As you well know, I'm going to talk about Mephibosheth today and the king. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan and the grandson of King Saul. And Saul was a bitter foe and an enemy of David. After Saul's death, David began to strengthen his forces. And according to the custom of that day, the new king would naturally put to death all contenders to the throne of a former ruler. That was the way they did it. Anyone who claims the throne would be removed by execution to protect the new king from any threat. So when Saul and his son Jonathan fell in the same battle, a little son of Jonathan was hidden lest David find him and kills him. His name, as you will know, Mephibosheth. I hope I will continue pronouncing it right till the end of the meeting. <laughs> and this is his story. From the story we see, and I, to make it short, that God's people are dear to God's heart for the sake of someone else. After his death, the father, Saul and Jonathan, who fell by the hands of the Palestinians on the mountain, the little boy was carried away by his nurse. He was son of a king, and he had a nurse. You can find this in the second Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. And she was running away with him because all the 
people related to the king were being killed and executed at that time. And she ran away with him and was able to cross the river on the east side and to go to Gilead. And in Gilead, there's a little place, little town by the name of Lodibar. And she was there. And she was hosted by a very good man. If you continue reading in the, in the history of David, that one day this man hosted and helped King David later on when he was pursued by his son also later on. And in Lodibar, she uh, protected him and lived there. While carrying him, he fell. Whether he fell out of her, he fell on both feet. And since there were no physicians and could not uh, fix what happened, he grew up lame, crippled. Fast forward 20 years. King David became a great king. He almost secured his kingdom. Almost. Not yet. While Mephibosheth lived in hiding. And Dave thought that this is it. I mean, all the children of Saul were gone. And all the people, his relatives were gone. And David grew up to be almost at middle age. And he started wising up a little bit and quieting down. As we start doing this, you know, 40, 45, you start getting some wisdom. Before that, may God help us. <laughs> and give us wisdom early in our lives. And David called one of the servants of Samuel, of um, Saul, the king, who died. And he said, you were a servant of Saul. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, your honor. Is there anyone left from the family of Jonathan, his son? Because you know the relationship between David and Jonathan was a beautiful relationship. Most of you know that. It's a relationship that why may they made a covenant between each other to live like brothers, and they did until Jonathan died before his time. And Ziba, who proved to be a very bad servant later on, and Ziba said, yes, your honor, there is a son of Jonathan, but he's not here, he's Across the river, he's in Lodibar. He's there in Lodibar? Yes. He said, go get him for me. Because I want to do, to show some kindness. For the sake of someone else. For the sake of Jonathan. For the sake of Jonathan. All right. 
Here's a party, probably some soldiers knocking on the door of where he was staying. You have a person here, a young man by the name of Mephibosheth living here? Oh yes, we do. And here Mephibosheth, they carried him over to see them and Mephibosheth said, this is the day I am going to be executed. That's it. The end has arrived. I was able to hide for 20 years. But now I am going to be. He's going to cut my head. He's going to kill me. He just started and he started repeating his prayers. As people say. And they accompanied him and took him before David. When he reached David, he fell completely on his face. And this is what he said. He was expecting exec execution. And as we read here, he said, are you Mephibosheth? And he said, yes, I'm your servant. And David, he was trembling. He was fearful. He knew that his father did all kinds of bad things. He was following David for many years to kill him. And I am from the family. I couldn't do anything. We were enemies of David. But now David addresses him with this. Do not fear. Oh, what good news. Do not fear. For I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. <laughs> I will have mercy on you. Then when he heard these words, I'm sure he broke down completely, Mephibosheth. He broke down completely. And he says at the end of, of uh, uh, verse 8, what is your servant? Who am I that you should regard a dead dog like me? I bet you, when he said these words, and here's King David looking at him, he couldn't stand up. He was seated. He was in a lowly place under king's, the king's mercy. And David looked at him. And he saw the face of Jonathan. Yeah, he looks like him. And he said, do not fear. I will surely show you kindness. I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul. And you shall eat at my table regularly. Is not the story of each and every one of us. This beautiful story, but if we don't apply it to our lives, then we will leave here as we came, empty-handed. Isn't it our story? We were running away all our lives, hiding, 
Maybe not the way he hid, but hiding from the kindness and mercy of God? Isn't it the story of you and me? Personally, it's my story. And when I was reading it and started reading it over and over, tears, tears came to my eyes. My heart melted. We were completely gone. We were shut out. We were living away from God, homeless, helpless, no God before, until the mercy of God took us when we thought that there is no hope for us. I'm talking about myself. And that night, when I met the kindness of God, he took me, accepted my prayers, and truly, I did not repeat because I didn't know this story that I'm a, 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 a dog before you. But I said, I am a sinner, Lord. I have denied you my life completely. Here I am. Take me and change my life. I am at your mercy. And this man said, well, I am going to be executed I might say what's in my heart with tears. I am a dead dog. Oh, he could have said, well, listen, why are you sending for me? I am the son of a king, and you took our kingdom from our hands. You defeated us. You killed my dad. He didn't kill his dad. And he could have told a billion stories. And he could have said, well, anyway, if you want to execute me, execute me right now. But you know what? He knew that he is standing before a king who can execute him. And he knew the best way to come is to admit that he is nothing and he's at his mercy. And that's when God, when you come to Jesus Christ, admitting that you need his mercy, he is not going to execute you. He is going to save you. Amen. That's the difference. That's the difference between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. He came to this world not to execute anyone. He came to this world not to bring vengeance. He came to this world to bring mercy, love, and kindness and salvation. This is what I took from the story this time. I didn't have it this way before. But thank God when you think of yourself... You, yeah, the loved ones, here you're seated in your soft and wonderful chair. And you have been saved. But did you stop to think that execution was your destiny? And Jesus interrupted this. He intercepted it. And he said, no, we're going to change the destiny of this young man, of this young woman, of this, of this person. And he says, come on, I want you to live a longer life. I want you to be saved, not to be executed. Weren't, you, weren't we lost? 
He erased us from banishment, didn't he? He brought us to a superior companionship. Who is your companion today? You can say, believer. Believer, you can say, my companion is the Lord Jesus Christ. My companion is the Holy Spirit who is living within my heart. Day and night and directed me. You who had no hope, he gave you a noble rank. And what is the noble rank that each Christian has? A child of God. A child of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he gave you more than that, a royal provision. He provided royally to us. That just look where we were. Look where we were. Would you open your Bibles with me to Ephesians 2.12? Ephesians 2.12. Or Ed can display it on the screen up there. And Paul is addressing the Christians. Those who became Christians who came from heathenism. Who were abandoned, banished. They were foreigners completely. Remember, he says, remember, Christians, that you were at that time separate from God, from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Here it is, having no hope and without God in the world. Wasn't that our situation? But look. See where you are now. See where you are now, Christian. Ephesians 2.13. But now, but now after salvation, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, what a Savior. You can sit in your seat and bask in his love and rest in his companionship, and enjoy your rank as a child of God, and say, hallelujah, what a savior. In 1 Peter, he says, you are now not only a saved by his grace, you are now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you from darkness into his marvelous lights. And he adds this for you and for me. For you once were not a people. What did he present himself? He said, I'm not a people. I am a dog. I am a dead dog. A dog, a, live, a living dog is wonderful. I love them. But a dead dog? He said, I'm a dead dog. You were, for you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not, you were without mercy, but now you have received mercy only for his sake, the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second point. Your deformity 
if there's any, your deformity shall not rob you from your privileges in Jesus Christ. You know, the epistle of love, first John, John is good, he's, he, he grew on love and he loved his Savior. And he writes in 1 John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has loved us that we should be called the sons of God. That's the privilege. The key verse in this, Mephibosheth, I told you if I survive it, <laughs> Mephibosheth, okay, was crippled. We agreed on that. It's the Bible. It, show, it, it tells us how he got pre, pre, uh, crippled. Well, I want to tell you something. Lameness is no bar to sonship. Lameness is no bar to sonship. You know what? God does not look at your physical appearance. Jesus Christ did not come to the world to save all the handsome people. Nor all the not handsome people, for a lack of a better word. <laughs> he did not come to save the healthy. When he was here, he told him, they told him, where do you go to the sinners? He says, healthy people do not need a physician. But what? Sick people. He came and looked after those sick people, after the lame, after the blind people, so he can save them and give them a life. He doesn't look at your deformity. He doesn't look whether you are okay or not okay. In fact, King Saul they thought that God looks at the outward appearance. They brought him a tall man, taller than any of his generation. He says, here's, yeah, God doesn't look at, at the outward looks. He looks at the heart. And if there is any deformity in any one of us, I tell you one thing. Jesus Christ, when he came to save us, he never looked at it. He just wanted our hearts. And what does it say in the Bible? My son, give me your physique. Give me your heart. And let your eyes observe my ways. When you come face to face, with Jesus Christ. He did not say there is no hope for you. At all. You're limping. You're a cripple. I cannot use you. He can use any person who comes to him. With humbleness. And ask the Lord to save him. You know what Spurgeon once said? Our right does not limp, though our might may. I repeat that. Our right does not limp. We have 
privileges in the Lord. They, but though our might may. And he has to say, the school of adversity has more noble graduates than any university in the world. We may be physically limping. We limp sometimes, don't we? We drag. How many times do you ask someone to say, I'm dragging? Because this physical body gets tired, right? If we don't sleep one good night, we get tired. We thank God Brother Rajiv did not sleep well because his days are turned into nights and nights into day. He changed three planes from Sri Lanka to get here, and today, this morning, he came to the breaking of bread. That's a privilege. Though his body is weak now, maybe, <laughs> and he's sleepy, but his, his position is at the right hand of glory with Jesus Christ. Why? Because he loved us. Why did David, David the king uh, had mercy on this young man who's about 25 years old now? Because he loved him. He loved his father. He looks like his father, less his crippling. And rejoice, dear Christian. Rejoice that you have a merciful father and you have great privilege in him. And if there is any lameness in your walk, that does not mean that you are rejected at all. And if there are any shortcomings, the blood of Jesus Christ covers it all. Rest in Jesus. Stay away from sin and live a life to honor him. And you will hear, I am going to restore you. The last word, this kindness is unmerited. Unmerited. We don't deserve it. Did uh, Mephibosheth deserve that kindness? No. Look at his father. What the Bible says in Ephesians 1 and verse 6, that we are accepted in the beloved. When God sees you and me in Christ, he accepts us completely. It's unmerited favor, we call it. And we sing about it. And listen to that. The eyes of love, the heart of love of the Lord Jesus Christ does not see your lameness. Does not, does not look at our sins and say, ha ha, I caught you. Jesus is not a policeman. He doesn't say, ah, ha, ha, I caught you. He just nudges you first and second and third time. Leave this sin alone. In all loving kindness, if you leave it, that's wonderful. If you don't leave it, he slaps you. And praise God for that. To get your attention. You will never lose his love. You are a safe person and you say that. Now, David, did he say nothing about the lame feet of Mephibosheth? When they brought in Mephibosheth, says, oh, 
what happened to you? You are lame. Did he say that? Go study. Go look at the history of David. He never, he never or ever mentioned or alluded that Mephibosheth is a crippled man. You know, I remember when I had my retina surgery and I could only sleep for five days sitting. And one uh, person came, knocked on the door, and uh, I was allowed to, to walk straight. And I didn't shave. I, I didn't sleep at all well. And I opened the door. And this man, who's supposed to be a good brother, you know what he told me? He said, you look like hell. Why do I remember it? Because it hurt. I said, well, you don't know, you don't know what I've been through. No. I told him. Oh, he regretted it later on. But did he tell him that? He said, you look like, like a crippled man. And when you came to Jesus, when we came to Jesus, did he, did he say that to you and me? No. He loved us more. He took us more in. He had mercy on us. No, he treated us like princes, like David treated Mephibosheth. He treated him like a prince. He said, though his dad wanted to kill me, but he is a son of a king, and I will treat him like a prince. That's, that's dignity. That's honor. That's kindness. I want to show him kindness. He sat down at the king's table. And what happened? I, I meditated on this. And he didn't want to know anyone to see his legs, his feet. He didn't want, you know. And he had to sit at his table every day, regularly, eating with the king, not with the servants. But you know, since he never opened his word, his mouth about the crippleness of Mephibosheth. You know what he did? Most probably they carried him before anyone comes to the table, sit him, and the linen, the linen table covered his legs. And everybody came in and they had a wonderful conversation. Do you think Dave, Dave, Dave told him anything? He says, Tell me about Jonathan. Tell me about your dad. Let's talk about your dad. You didn't know him very well, but I know him. And David talked about Jonathan all the time. When we sit at the table with each other, what is our conversation? About our Jonathan, it should be. Let our conversation be what? About the Lord Jesus Christ. That speaks to me very much. And when, you know, and when Jesus saved us in order to cover our sins,
to cover, to cover uh, our lameness, if you will please. Our sins, what did he? He clothed us with robes of righteousness. Exactly. And he never remembered any of our sins. What does he say in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34? For the Lord said, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Even if we remind him, say, excuse me, what are you talking about, Dave? Like Brother Brad at the breaking of bread today, he said, I started remembering, you know, I had a, a personal time with the Lord. I started remembering my sins. I said, oh, thank God he washed my sins away. Thank God, if he doesn't remember them, I assure you, dear Christian, this afternoon, that you should not remember them. And talk about them. And look back. Let's look forward. And he gave him more than that. As he gave him back all the land, or everything his dad had, his his houses or palaces, he said, this is yours. Mephibosheth, and he called Ziba, the servant who proved later on that he's a bad servant. He said, you and your sons, 18 sons, you serve, you serve Mephibosheth for the rest of his life. You cultivate the land and feed him and feed his family, his son, he had a son, and be there for him day and night, so he can live with dignity and honor for the rest of his life. And he will always eat at my table. Were you at the Lord's table this morning? You will always eat there, Christian. You will always be hosted by the king, and all your lameness will be covered by his righteousness. And more than that, more than that, he gave him the inheritance of his dad. And there is a great inheritance for you and me. It's not in Lodibar. It's not on this earth. It's not in Saramon. It's not in Dublin or Walnut Creek or anywhere else. It is in heaven. Amen. It is in heaven. Where did he send him to live? In Jerusalem. It is going to be in heavenly Jerusalem for you and me as long as we live. All I can say to that unmerited kindness. Let's bow our heads. If I am speaking to someone who is still not a child of God, part of the family of God, I ask you this afternoon to say, Lord Jesus, I am dead in my trespasses and sin. I want you to, to save me. Like you changed the life of this man and saved him from banishment and death and brought him to live with you. I want you to change my life. I want you to touch my heart. I hereby come as a sinner. Save me. Change me. Make me a child of yours. And give me that inheritance. So when you come, and, when, if, and 
If I die, I'll be forever with you. If there's someone who would like to pray this prayer, I beg of you, pray it now. Don't say when I go home. Pray it now while at your seat. And after the meeting, come and talk to me. And tell me, Adol, I have given my life to Jesus Christ. Our Father, we thank you this afternoon for speaking to our hearts. May your words, may your mercy, may your kindness be with us all the time. And may we live a life worthy of our title, children of God. Those who are praying and asking the Lord into their hearts, I pray that you will save them and give them eternal life. Dismiss us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's someone who would like to come and talk to me after the meeting, I'll be here in the front. And may the Lord be with you and bless you and give you a life, a wonderful life. Remember, your sins are remembered no more. God bless you all.